0: You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 300. I'm your host, András Pinter, and joining me for the show... As you can hear, my <laughs> co-hosts Annika Harrison and Pontus Beckman. See us, talk.
1: Hello. Hey, it's three hundred. <laughs> that is
0: unbelievable. All <laughs> 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 right. <laughs> yeah, party time.
1: There's some debate whether it was the 18th or the 19th of November in 2015, but one of those two days we released our first <laughs> episode, so it's almost
0: to the day. Also, six years since we started. Isn't that unbelievable? I, I don't know about you, Pontus, but we were both there at the beginning. I never would have thought that we would get so far. Yeah, no. I remember being very impressed when we hit
1: 70. I think 70, that was for some yeah, reason. Yeah, that's I'm a sorry. big number. 300 episodes yeah. now. <laughs> yeah.
2: Serious big podcast, 70 episodes. <laughs> yeah. We
1: just don't know how to stop. So that's the point
2: <laughs> We never should. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And we got some uh, fantastic new person on the podcast last year as well. Annika, you weren't there from the, from the beginning, but here you are.
2: Yeah, exactly. And here I stay. It's- <laughs> yeah,
0: that's right. And it's, and it's amazing. You, I think um, getting you on board was a great decision. It was amazing. And it's been ever since. I mean, you're a fantastic addition to this show, I think. And I'm pretty sure our listeners agree.
1: <laughs> and you're making a great career as well as a skeptic. I hear you oh, yeah. this week. It, there's been a lot of things happening for you, Annika, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. I also should say, I should tell our listeners that I actually just blushed by all the praise that Andres just gave me. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, thank you, I should say first. <laughs> but yeah, the, the last week was very intense in a way that on Thursday, I helped my skeptics in the pub talk about Wikipedia. The yeah. woes and woes of Wikipedia. And it's already on YouTube. They were very quick in, in um, getting that up.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw it live. It was very good. And uh, if you missed it, I I encourage everyone who missed it to go to YouTube and, and see it. And um, we will, of course, put the link in the show notes.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that happened is that on uh, Sunday, I got elected into leadership of GWUP. G-W-U-P. GWUP.
0: Which is? Which
2: is Gesellschaft für Wissenschaftliche Untersuchung von Parawissenschaften. <laughs> didn't know that Okay, English? and
0: for those who don't understand German? But
2: the German Skeptics Organization. <laughs> German Skeptics. <laughs> but now you have to pronounce, all of you have to pronounce Gesellschaft für Wissenschaftliche Untersuchung von Parawissenschaften. <laughs> we
1: will leave certain parts to you. I-
2: <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, but it's very nice. We're a team of eight. So like mm-hmm. there are... I would say three layers of leadership and I'm in the second. Uh, like the first layer would be Amadeo Sama, who is like the king, <laughs> the leader. The president.
0: king? Is there a king? <laughs> no, he's, <a>
2: president, <laughs> he's the, the president and he's the president. And then he has two vice presidents <laughs> mm-hmm. and they are Ruven Schäfer and Dr. Claudia Preiss. And then the second layer is pretty much everyone else. So Susanne Aust, Oliver Dammert. Me, Ralf Neugebauer, and Stephanie Handel. Mm-hmm.
0: Very good, yeah. very good. Some of whom we have interviewed on this yeah, show, exactly. Um, yeah, and and we know personally as well.
2: Yeah. I think Nikhil Mukherjee is also part of it because he's part of the science board of a group, and that's why he's also part of leadership. So okay, yeah, yeah. yeah so really exciting things happening. Congratulations, and we're proud of you. Yep. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think since. Now we're all in the leadership of our respective organizations. we could <laughs> pf, we could easily be like an official international skeptical podcast and not <laughs> like an independent <laughs> as we as we tend to emphasize at the beginning of the we, show. We are the dependent <laughs> podcast now what? yeah the the prostitutes that we are. we would like to offer our services to whoever wants to fund us as the official international skeptical podcast, right. Okay, but we came up with an idea to celebrate this anniversary of us, Uh, not only the anniversary, but the fact that we have reached 300 episodes. And uh, so what was the, the original idea?
2: To have us interviewed by our listeners.
0: Yeah, so we've got quite a few questions, actually. Very interesting
1: questions. I hope we get mm-hmm. have time to get through all of them. We'll see how long it'll take. Yeah, but we'll it...
0: try to be concise. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Very interesting to hear what people want to know about us and about the skeptical movement and about skeptical topics. But uh,
0: let's go into that. Yeah. So we haven't asked for permission from anyone to release their full names. So we're just going to go by first names and countries where the question comes from. We're going to take turns in reading up the questions. There, there are a couple of questions that address uh, all of us. And then there are a few addressed to specifically one or two of us. So that will be taken as such. So why don't we start with the first question then? That was sent in by Pavel from the Czech Republic. He wants to know about the very beginnings of our skeptical worldviews. So he asks, how did you come to skepticism and what was before? Let's start with Annika.
2: Yeah, so what was before? I would say I was just a very normal person falling into natural fallacies mostly. (laughs) (laughs) Were you? Yeah, I, I was very yeah, uh, like I I'd had several traps where I fell, that I fell into, but I was also very scientific-minded and rational person before that. Uh, more about that later. <laughs> <laughs> but well, how did I come to skepticism? I was always very like rational-minded, didn't like homeopathy and and a lot of woo. And my husband Scotty pretty much just showed me skepticism.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: He was like, hey, there are people that are actually thinking like you, and they're called skeptics. Right. So, so that,
0: that's how you became a skeptical activist?
2: Yeah. He introduced me to the SGU, and um, he also said, hey, there's also this European skeptical podcast that you could listen to if you want to hear something that's a bit more local. And then I listened to you guys. Good boy, <laughs> Scotty. that's how everything started, yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm. So we owe you to Scotty.
2: Yes. Courtesy of <laughs> Scotty Harrison. <laughs>
0: Yeah. No. 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 Sorry. So we can thank Scotty for you.
2: Yeah. For, exactly. for bringing us
0: bringing your you to our lives. That's yeah. that's amazing. Okay.
1: What about you, Pontus? Yeah. Well, I, starting way back, I I've always been fascinated of what wanting to know what is real, quote unquote real. I, I mm. questioning my own opinion and and others' opinions and turning things about and finding out that things are not. Quite as you thought it was at the first time for the first time, but I, for a long time I had no idea that other people didn't feel the same. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I thought everybody wanted to know that, and that was frustrating because sometimes when you talk to people, I didn't believe them when they said that they weren't interested and they thought I was going on too much about that, this and that. So, and but I didn't have any tools. To And when I say tools, what I mean, I didn't know anything about logical fallacies. I didn't know anything about the things that you get to learn as a skeptic. So I, uh, it was a little bit hit and miss. But I eventually stumbled onto the skeptic's guide to the universe, just like many others did. And uh, I uh, was hooked right away. And I thought, ah, this is what it is. There is <laughs> other people out there that actually do feel like I do. And uh, how can what can I do to join them, and what can I do to meet them, and that's that's how it started, I think.
0: Mm, that's cool.
2: What about you, Andras?
0: Well, I've always been fascinated by how the world works. And I've always wanted to know that. And I remember even as a small kid, whenever I learned something new about the world, I wanted to share it with someone. And this is what drew me towards listening and and watching people and shows like uh, those of David Attenborough, for example. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I've always been fascinated by them. And I wanted to become... One of those people who can who can <laughs> do that. But at a certain point in my life, I was drawn much more towards things that are weird, like UFOs <laughs> and the special energies of the universe and chi and, and all that weird shit. <laughs> and then out of that curiosity... I went to the local study circle, the astronomy study circle in my hometown, and that's where I started to learn a lot more about astronomy. And it happened to be the same guys who organized the first ever Hungarian national meeting of skeptics. (laughs) (laughs) And from then, there was no stopping. I became indoctrinated in a way. (laughs) (laughs) I, I I grew up a skeptic because of that. When that happened, I was about 17 years old. I got to know Gábor Rasko, uh, for example, and uh, we ended up uh, becoming the original members of the Hungarian Skeptic Society, which celebrates its 15th anniversary this December. Lots of anniversaries
1: at the moment. Yeah, yes. it was
0: 15 years ago that, that, mm-hmm. that it came to life. Yeah. We've been working on this together ever since. And he introduced me to the international sceptical movement and uh, the rest is in front of you guys. I'm here.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds wonderful. Mm -hmm. The next question is from listener Kilian from Germany. And he asks, what attracted each of you to scepticism? And why did you decide to create a podcast on scepticism? And how did you get to know each other? So it's pretty much three questions. Mm Mm-hmm. Pontus, maybe you start. <laughs> yeah, I
1: think I've already said w- about the first part of that. Why I wanted to be part of a podcast was I felt I had a lot of thoughts to ventilate, <laughs> and mm-hmm. pe- people around me were just willing to listen to a certain extent. And it's much better <laughs> to talk into this microphone and and force people to to listen. Well, no kidding, but I, I did think I had something to contribute. And then when Andras he came up with the idea we should focus on Europe. I thought that was spot on. I had toyed with the idea of doing something for Sweden, but in Swedish you only can reach so many people mm. and there at the time there actually was a Swedish skeptics podcast as well and uh, I didn't want I, I felt that the, that niche was already filled. Yeah. But I I was very happy when Andras su- suggested that we could do it. Covering the non-English speaking countries of Europe, but in English, so that we can reach out to, to more people. That, that was a good idea.
2: Mm. What about <laughs> you, Andras? Because you you're part of the <laughs> part of the birthing uh, <laughs> experience of this podcast.
0: <laughs> yes, but in my defense, uh, <laughs> the idea <laughs> that the idea came up at the European Skeptics Congress. That was basically the origin of the idea that we were chatting. Quite long chats we had about how it's not enough to come together with all the Europeans, the other European skeptics, uh, every second year. There are so much discussed. There is so much going on on the European continent in the skeptical, f- the field of skepticism. And we should probably show that to each other. We should showcase what's being done by other skeptics. This was the origin of the idea. To focus a little bit on the other part of the question that asks, how did you get to know each other? I think we've mentioned it like a million times, but <laughs> we cannot emphasize that enough. We can thank Susan Gobig for that. <laughs> yeah. Because she brought the two of us together. Yeah, this is did. how we got into talking.
1: <laughs> and if you just go back two episodes, uh, episode yes. 298, she will tell you her version of what happened. It was... Mostly as I remembered it, there were a few details that were different, but, but it yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't matter. It, it was something <laughs> like that. And of course, that was with um, Jelena, of course. And then yeah, eventually, yeah, yeah. Annika came on board and she basically came on board uh, whether we wanted to or not, in a way, because
0: <laughs> <Yes>. she, <laughs> she was,
1: yeah, she appointed herself our uh, biggest fan. <laughs> uh, and told us so, and she asked permission to make a t shirt with our logo on, and we met. So, mm. she, and, a fan really, and the of back. course, we uh, who could resist Annika? I mean, it was uh, <laughs> love at first sight.
2: Yeah, I think the first <laughs> sentence I actually said to both of you was in 2017 in Rochlaw. I butchered that pronunciation, but sorry, you know where it was. Yes. Uh,
0: <laughs> more on that, that pronunciation of um of polish, <laughs> polish words, later on yeah, a little yeah. bit later <laughs> exactly.
2: but yeah that um in in poland and i think you were sitting in front of me and i was just saying oh my heroes from the esp <laughs> 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 i think that was the first thing i said
1: yeah <laughs> uh, i mean as i said how can you resist
2: <laughs> yeah but then
1: you were even before you were a regular co-host you uh contacted us and you sent us uh, shorter interviews and did stuff so so uh, you contributed you were before. a f-
0: foreign correspondent yeah
1: yeah, yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> right. right so listener mark from the netherlands asks us how do you discover your own bias or biases i guess mm-hmm. you can have more than one and that's that's apropos being a skeptic that that may be uh difficult of course because we always say that everybody is so biased, but we have to remember, so are we. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Andras, how do you discover
0: your biases? How do you know? By looking for them. That's mm-hmm. the, the most important part. That you you must be aware that you have your own biases, and uh, you learn about those biases through examples of others having them and committing uh, fallacies based on them, you have to realize at a certain point that you yourself are making the same mistakes. And uh, by realizing that, you try to spot them in your own behavior as well. In a way... This goes back to the previous question as well, because I distinguished the two questions, how you got into skepticism and what attracted you to skepticism, because Mm. this is what attracted me to skepticism the most, that you have to apply these rules to yourself as well. So it's like a way of self-learning and learning something new about yourself. This has to be a part of your personal development and uh, that you try to get rid of your own biases. You won't. You won't ever get rid of them. But <laughs> you you have to try. Yeah. <laughs> Annika, do you agree?
2: Yes. <laughs> Next question. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Yeah, I, I totally agree with Andras. It's like, you always have to reflect and ask yourself. And I still occasionally fall into traps. For example, when when Luna was born, I, of course, wanted her to be completely protected. But on the same side, your intuition wants you to protect this little baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like, m- all my motherly instincts said like, no, no one is sticking a needle in that helpless baby. <laughs> and on the other hand, my my brain, of course, and my my... Yeah, everything else said, like, of course, she has, to, she has to be vaccinated. Of course, she's getting vaccinated. But I could just see how easy it is to fall into these traps, to have mm-hmm. biases or, or preconceived notions of things. Yeah, how important it is to reflect on your own biases.
1: Yeah, and I agree as well. I, I don't have to repeat what you, the two of you have said, but I think <laughs> that there's one thing, if you can reduce it down to just one bias, I usually think about it like this, as a, if you really want it to be true, then you have to question it even more because that's very oh, yeah. often where you do the least fact-checking. You say, I, I want this to be true. I already know, quote unquote, know this to be true, so I'm not going to check if it is
0: true. And then you fall into that rabbit hole. Yes. Yeah. Intuitively, I, I feel like it has to be true. Yeah. Okay, so we tried to organize the questions into groups. And the first group was mostly about the personal starting points and how we all got into this. But uh, let's go a little bit deeper into the skeptical side of things. Uh, Friedlieb from Germany asks, what do you think about the increasing abuse of the word skeptic? For people who deny science and reason Just as vaccination skeptics Climate skeptics What would you say to help distinguish you From those kinds of people? That's a great question Mm -hmm. Yeah
1: and it, it's not a new question. I think there are. There's always been some sort of problematic thing about the word skeptic because mm-hmm. it also sounds mm-hmm. very negative. You say it's. Yeah. It's very easy to confuse with a cynic saying a no to everything, and I won't accept anything. And that's when you get into becoming a denier instead of a scientific skeptic that mm. wants to look into everything scientifically. And uh, and there's been suggestions over the years, I think, to have other labels, but I think for good or bad, we are stuck with the, the term skeptic for now. So I don't know. I, I think we, we just have to own it and we have to continue to explain what we mean with the word skeptic and point out that people who deny the evidence are not skeptics. They are just deniers.
2: Yeah, What I always say um, when I talk about the podcast, because European Skeptics Podcast, if you stress it differently, like Europe Skeptics, um, then people would think like, oh, you don't want the EU then? Right.
3: (laughs) Oh, yeah, Um, that's difficult. Yeah,
2: I always say like, we're skeptics, we're critical thinkers, we're not the Euroskeptics. So always, it's like always a um, caveat in a way.
0: Well, things like the organizers of the European Skeptics Congress at some point setting up the domain org <laughs> 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 probably didn't help much. That's no.
2: unlucky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but to be honest, I'm very saddened by the advance of these new kind of skeptics because i think for the skeptical movement all over the world it took decades to get to where we are at currently when we mention the word skeptic it mm. it means something so it for a lot of people it already means much closer to something that we want it to mean but then these people are hijacking these names basically jumping on something that has already been established so i blame this on the fact that it has been changed over the decades so now it's a word that they can use to legitimize their own Denial, as mm. as Pontus very nicely put. So I I can only agree with uh, with what he said. But but in a way I can say that it wouldn't have
1: mattered what name we chose for ourselves because everybody always hijacks something that sounds yes. reasonable or good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, every fascist party in the world are calling themselves democratic. And uh, oh, yeah. when <laughs> Trump doesn't want to acknowledge facts, he calls it fake news because th- he heard somebody else yeah. say fake news about his lying. So everybody's just taking over the, the name and making it themselves. Uh, it wouldn't have mattered what we, what we chose.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um. Next question is from listener Kilian from Germany again. And he said, conspiracy theories are on the rise, like QAnon. Um, where do you think it all went wrong? What can we do about it? And what can you do when you see family members slipping into such thoughts? Andresh. Yeah.
0: Well, I don't think there is one point we can spot in the development of the current situation. I don't think there is one specific point in time where we can show that there is where something went wrong. There is a series of of different things that led to this. One of them is shying away from debating stuff Mm. and trying to silence the other side. And it's not specific to the QAnon believers and it's not specific to either side of the political spectrum. And this leads back to our biases, we don't really want to hear things that contradict our own beliefs. That is something that should have been cultivated in people growing up mm-hmm. uh, worldwide. Mm-hmm. And it's not you. There is, there is a certain level of tribalism that is hardwired into our brains. <laughs> and we just, it, this is just how we work. So I, re- I'm really not very optimistic about what we can do, but research shows. That if you do make it a part of the educational system, if you do make it part of how you try to develop critical thinking in people at a a young age, then you might have a winning situation. But we're talking about very small scale scale differences that you can make, but you have to do that. Hmm. We are all skeptics. We're we're all like uh, Don Quixote in a way that yeah. we are trying to fight the impossible fight and um we have to be happy with whatever small amount of change we can achieve
1: no yeah. i i agree i think i think in a way it is in the in the human nature to believe in conspiracies yeah. and uh, i think if you want to go all the way back to evolutionary psychology and i i know you should be careful with that because it may be <laughs> it's a, it becomes a lot of speculation but it sort of makes sense if you Let's go back to when we lived in the savannah or so a long time ago, a million years ago or or so, or half a million years or whatever. And you live in a small community, an isolated group, you, you depend on everyone else for your survivor. But sometimes some of them lie to you, right? They form pacts and they you've seen the TV show Survivor and things like that. (laughs) I think it's very natural and very human. So it's a good strategy in that point to be on the lookout for conspiracies against you because you don't want to be outmaneuvered. But if you take it too far, of course, it becomes very unhealthy. And if you're in a small group, if you start talking about crazy, exaggerated conspiracies, I think the others will pretty quickly tell you to shut up and and tell you why you're wrong. The problem comes when you have access to the whole world like we have today with with the Uh internet, because you can always find other people who think just like you. And then you define your own little community and you encourage each other in that group. And then it really can go off the rails It's hard to say what we can do about that because the internet is very good for a lot of things. You can spread good ideas and you can spread bad ideas. But I think it it makes it easier for conspiracy theorists, if that's the word, to (laughs) find each other and to organize. And I think that's what we're seeing.
2: Yeah, and it's like you know that you can't really fight (laughs) with these people, especially if they're family members, because they will just dig their heels in. It's hard. Like, they're not always uh, approachable by rational thinking.
0: One thing that we have learned over the years, and scientific research backs that statement up, is that one thing you shouldn't do Mm -hmm. is attack those people for their beliefs. Yeah. Because that will just deepen the trenches. So you don't want that. You want them to listen to what you say. And the moment that you alienate them with some weird attack some heavy outright attack on their beliefs this is what's going to happen you don't want to lose their attention so for this reason we have to first learn how to communicate and how not to be offensive when we try to convince people that something is not real.
1: Yeah, and a lot of the time you just have to let it go. If it's, uh, yes. it's a family yeah. member or a relative and you know you have to spend Christmas with them, don't ruin Christmas by making a fight with that person all the time. <laughs> you just have to let it pass. But yeah. there's one thing that may work, and uh, not always, but if you're very patient and if you, you, you take a couple of years, you could discuss something else that you know that both of you agree is nonsense. Yeah. And you can discuss why that is nonsense. And so as long as you all agree, you could slowly try to point out why that nonsense is nonsense, and the other person will agree. And you, I don't think you should come with naming logical fallacies and stuff, but explain it in other terms, like why everything that is natural doesn't have to be good. Don't Try to teach them Occam's razor by referring to a monk that lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But try to get an agreement that if an explanation is less complicated than the other, then probably the, the simpler explanation is better. And eventually, maybe, that can turn them around. But uh, confrontation doesn't work, as yeah. you say, Arash.
0: No.
2: But no. I think what's, what's also important is that you still have your own boundaries, if you're a person that is like medically at risk and you have an anti-vax person in your family, then Mm. yeah, don't confront them. But also, like we always say, don't take medical advice from this podcast, but it's also important to not endanger yourself.
1: That's right. It's a difference if you debate whether the world is flat or not. That doesn't hurt anyone, not (laughs) immediately anyway. Mm. (laughs) But uh, if you're talking about vaccinations or don't take that person to the hospital but give him some uh, mumbo jumbo homeopathy instead and you, no we we need to take this person to a hospital yeah, i don't care exactly. well, then, then you have to take the fight
2: then you have to confront <laughs> yeah. because the stakes are too high
1: <laughs> mm. so we we got a question from listener mark again from from the netherlands and he basically wonders who should fact check the fact checkers and his example is that it's about Snopes and uh, about Trump saying that there was good people on both sides in Charlottesville so this is of course an American example but we talk about Snopes quite a lot so I think maybe it's worth bringing it up anyway and this this could be long so I'll try to make it short but what Snopes did was they did put an article up that they said uh, with a uh, with a title Donald Trump again blames both sides for Charlottesville violence. And then in the subtitle they said the president appeared to cancel out his earlier unequivocal condemnation of white supremacists and neo Nazis, provoking widespread criticism. End quote. So that's what the subtitle says. And Mark points out that Trump actually did say and quote, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists because they should be condemned totally, end quote. That's a real quote from, from Donald Trump. Is now Snopes very biased against Trump? I think they can be a little bit. I can well, I can say I am a bit as well, but let's take this seriously. What what happened was that Trump said the last quote actually in the first interview, and then he was asked again about that on another occasion. And then he repeated that there were good people on both sides, but he didn't say again anything about white supremacists or neo-Nazis. So you could argue that by not mentioning the or excluding the Nazis the second time, he was, as the subtitle said from Snopes, he appeared to cancel out his earlier unequivocal uh, condemnation. So you can mince words. And... Um, if I go further, I can say you look at the Wikipedia about the Charlottesville incident or attack, I should say. And it says, quote, the Unite the Right rally was a white supremacist rally, end quote. So that stands on Wikipedia and it, it's unchallenged. So if Trump tries to take away the Nazis from that side, who is left? And on and on and on. You can debate it a long time. They didn't put a true or false label on this. This was another kind of article. And uh, who the hell knows what Trump actually means because he tends to, in my opinion, contradict himself in everything he says. Leave Trump aside. Forget all what I said. Doesn't matter. But the question is still valid. Who fact-checks the fact-checkers? If you ask this a lot, you could also imply that we don't need fact checkers because if nobody's checking them, they are worthless. And that is, of course, not right. That's like saying that since policemen sometimes do something wrong, we do have no use for policemen. That's not right. We do need fact checkers. And the simple answer after all of this ranting, of course, there is somebody who should fact check the fact checkers. And that is us, every one of us. If Snopes or any other fact-checking organization is saying something wrong or obviously being biased, of course we should challenge them. We, but we do need them. And and of course, they are not above the rules, of course. If they some, say something wrong, you should call them out. That's the,
0: the short answer of it. And uh, I think that it should work like science works. Mm-hmm. I mean, science communication and science um, publications – scientific publications Mm -hmm. are fact-checked by other scientists in the field. So if the fact-checkers contradict each other, or if one fact-checker can occasionally at least fact-check the fact-checking of the other organization, uh, that is how it should probably work. But I totally agree with, with Pontus. But we have to be smart about this in a way. It's probably counterproductive to keep checking the fact checkers all the time because their job is to be factual occasionally however we need to double check that they are doing their job right like just point at one thing and or if something really stands out as probably wrong then we should go and find out if that certainly is the case and then communicate it make it public so that we know and i'm pretty sure that because a lot of the fact checks don't come out with the right result. I mean, from some people's point of view, <laughs> it's not the right result for them. They will definitely go and fact check them. So I'm not worried about who checks the fact checkers, because there's a lot of people out there who want to prove them wrong. Uh,
1: they're still very yeah. useful. And and they may occasionally be wrong as well. And then we should, mm-hmm. then we exactly. should acknowledge that they, this time they
0: were wrong. And that's fine. Do you think that if a fact checker turns out to be wrong about something... That ruins the credibility completely. It could be, but um, but
2: it shouldn't. It just makes them better because they reflected on their own mistakes.
0: As long as they do, yeah. if they do, you know,
1: a yeah, good
2: it's come from them. Yes, then yes.
0: A good
1: fact checker should acknowledge when they were wrong, and if they are pointed mm-hmm. out, this was definitely wrong. Then they should go out with a correction, and Snopes too, mm-hmm. occasionally. Mm.
2: Yeah, uh, next question from listener Scotty from Australia.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Is. Isn't he from Germany?
2: Hmm. I heard he's well, from Germany. <laughs> from Australia, but living in Germany, I think I Ah, uh,
0: okay, mm-hmm. okay, okay.
2: So his question is, what does a professional skeptic look like? What would they do? How would they be funded? Is it possible to, be- to become a professional skeptic?
1: Mm. Oh, you know the first question—you no. will never know how they look because they always hide behind <laughs> an audio medium, so you don't see what
0: they look like. <laughs> with with a couple of exes- exceptions, though, all of us in the skeptical movement know what Marsh looks like, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, not not the not the planet, but uh, Michael Marshall, that's uh, right, from the Good Th- Good Thinking Society.
2: <laughs> yeah, he would like be the professional skeptic. Yeah.
0: He is actually a professional
1: skeptic, yeah, exactly. so, it, so the, that question can be answered with, yes, it is possible. Jay Novella is also having this now mm. as his profession. So it happens, but it's very rare, and uh, I, I don't th- th- it's not a career choice you want for your children.:
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think what's, what happens more often if, is like professional science communicators like my mm? teen Kim, that I mentioned before the, yeah, the German yeah. presenter. TV presenter, Uh, because she is a professional science communicator. Uh, Cara Mm -hmm. Santa Maria was that before she also started her clinical work again. So, Yeah
1: yeah that's right and we we have Brian Cox, who could say mm-hmm. he's a professional skeptic to some extent. he is yep. a scientist, but he he gives a lot of information about skepticism as well uh Carl Sagan of course
0: uh, we can argue that uh even Massimo Polidoro is one yeah, uh, right because he has a lot of skeptical writings uh he's a professional writer and yeah. uh I don't think he gets paid for being on top of the organization, but his works are well known, and uh, he makes a living out of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that Randy could be considered a professional skeptic? A, a professional mm-hmm. skeptic back then.
2: Maybe. In a yeah. way, I
0: don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know that he made a lot
1: of money from it. A few books, of course. I think he yeah, made his probably. money in in other fields, though, in in his uh, performances.
0: Yeah, but those performances were the basis of his credibility as a person who knows how people are being deceived. So, um there are certain areas that overlap and that could be considered professional scepticism. One thing is for sure, because Scotty asks, what would they do? Well we can see that they can get a lot of shit done marsh with the good thinking society Mm -hmm. he starts movements he goes on tv radio and writes a lot and writes proposals and writes i think a couple of legal cases have been filed as well Mm -hmm. by them he does a lot of lobbying and that is probably one of the things that we should get really into on a european level and i've been I've been saying that for years <laughs> <laughs> ever since we started this I've been saying that we need to go and do some lobbying on a European level because the proponents of pseudoscience, for example uh, homeopathy, those people who paddle homeopathy, those guys are lobbying yep. those guys are doing very heavy lobbying and those people are whispering in the ears of the decision makers Mm. on certain european level organizations and uh we can't match their force yeah that should be changed and the the same can be told about anti-gmo movements and and all that there are a lot of ngos who paddle those idiotic stuff And we should bring together people who can run NGOs that can afford to employ people who do this as a paid job. Mm. By that, we can achieve much more than we can achieve with people doing all this in their free times. And we all appreciate all the money that we get uh, on Patreon and the donations that come in, Mm. but nobody can make a living out of that. So it's 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 a lot of help because at least we don't have to spend our own money on certain things <laughs> yeah, yeah. <Worst laughs> to, to try to change the world for the better. But but it's yeah.
2: And it, the problem is like then we have legislation like oh you have to give livestock some alternative uh, woo first before you mm-hmm. give them antibiotics. Like mm-hmm. Stephanie Handel told us about in, in her oh, interview. Yeah. 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 And that's why it's so important that we also lobby. <laughs>
1: Yeah, About funding, we don't have a product to sell. Homeopaths exactly. do have that. And yeah. yeah,
0: Understandably, the skeptical movement shies away a little bit from getting funding from large investors. From a PR point of view, it doesn't really look good to be funded by some big pharma or big tech or, or any kind of organization that could potentially be considered an influence on how you think. It hurts your credibility, so. Exactly. So you want to stay independent, but you want to be well funded. So, it's it's difficult. Yeah. It's not. It's yeah. not easy. It's a dilemma. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, Rian from the Netherlands asks:
1: Do you have hope that humanity will learn how to use social media in a way that makes it a positive influence on society? What do you say, Annika?
2: I would say yes. I think so. Social- <laughs> <Okay, laughs> I think easy. social media is
0: Good. We need that optimism.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm young. I'm optimistic. <laughs> Not always but <laughs> No, I would say social media is what you make out of it. If people are happy and optimistic and putting good good content into social media, then you get good things out of it. If you use it to to spread misinformation, then, of course, it's bad. (laughs) Uh But I think, well, social media is relatively young. Like, it's a a huge, unprecedented thing. If you look at, like, how long human beings have been around, it's a very, very young thing. So it probably just needs time to develop and to even – it probably needs time to either become a dystopian thing or a utopian thing. (laughs) So we'll just Uh see what happens. Uh But um, I would say there is definitely potential there.
1: Yeah, and I think it's easy to focus on the bad stuff. I think social media is doing a lot of good things as well, yeah. but that
0: doesn't make the headlines. What do you say, Anders? Exactly. I say that social media is a tool. Yeah. And what we achieve with that and what influence it has on society, it's not based on the tool itself. It's based on who uses the tool and what they use it for. What we need is more people with good intentions and actual content and and things to say to society, I mean, useful things to say to society, (laughs) learn how to use social media. That's an internationally already recognized problem, for example, with science. There are a lot of people out there who are very well trained in science, but are absolutely incapable of communicating science. (laughs) And that's a huge problem. And we have the same problem with social media. So as long as we let social media to be overwhelmed by people who have nothing to say and are there for the fame only and nothing else, what are we expecting? So... (laughs) Yeah. Let's try to change that.
1: Yeah. We will always battle with this. Uh, mm-hmm. There won't yeah. come a time when we can say that now it's done. We fixed social media. There's nothing bad there out there <laughs> anymore. Yeah. You know, it's in a way, it's like democracy. You have to fight for it all the time. And when you stop fighting, it, the bad forces take
0: over. Yeah. And in a way, science is, is a tool like that as well. Mm. I mean, science is not the people, science is a method. And you can abuse that method and you can use that method for bad things, but it's not science's fault (laughs) that there are bad things out there provided by technology that's based on science, right? Mm -hmm. So let's move on. Listener Gabor from Hungary, he very kindly asked me to translate his questions because he wrote us (laughs) in Hungarian. (laughs) Uh yeah but I'd like to emphasize that he asked me to do that because he thinks that his English is not good enough for for us to understand properly but that doesn't stop him from listening to our show oh, that's good and I love that I mean Gabor if you're listening we admire you for that yes. and we should I think we should have more listeners like that who don't feel like because they don't understand every necessarily understand everything or their English is not that good that should not stop you from listening to any show. Not, not just ours, any show. And uh, thanks for saying that our English is very easy to understand. <laughs> the question is, Hi, I used to be an avid consumer of Danikin's works, and at some point a TV series called Ancient Aliens also caught my attention. But later somehow the picture started to shatter as they came up with more and more bullshit that started to feel like it was all going against logic. I became a skeptic then. By them. I thank them for it. Do you think these people believe their own theories or make a fool out of their followers on purpose?
2: <clears throat> That's a good, really good question. I would say it's probably divided. But I would probably think that most of them believe in their own theories. Like I know um, a lot of people that like are really offended if if you say like, hey, you're actually a fraud. You're actually scamming people, and they're like, "No, mm-hmm. I'm giving good to humankind. I'm a very altruistic person." So, I would say, like, yeah, you would need to be very cruel and very cold to not believe in your own theories, but like scam your followers.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but well, I think it's a little bit different. I think you're right when it comes to uh, health claims, yeah, where homeopathy, and a lot of people actually do believe that, and they think they're doing something good and that's fine and uh, when it comes to von fondanigan and if it comes yes. to uh, david ike i i don't know and i in a way i think the question is in some way <clears throat> irrelevant doesn't matter if they believe it or not they're still doing the same damage so you can't put yourself inside another person's mind you can just say you should not say that because it is wrong and then if they continue it's either because they believe it or if they are a fraud doesn't matter it's still make doing the same damage i think also if you go into psychology of things i think it's interesting because you can have two different situations you can start out as a fraud and then come to believe in what you're saying because everybody else is confirming that you're right and then suddenly well it must be right because everybody agrees with me no that's some sort of logical fallacy, but uh, that I don't know the name of but and then you can start out as a true believer and then become so entrenched in what you're doing, what you're selling, or the image that you've built up that even if you come to realize that you're wrong, it'll be very hard to let everybody down by admitting it but in yeah. the end it doesn't matter
0: <laughs> if you're wrong, you're wrong, and you shouldn't be. <laughs> I think in a way it does matter because you have to differentiate your approach based on what you see. And this is why it's important to to first find out if if that is the case. Because, for example, look at Peter Popov, mm. who was basically unveiled. The, his trick was unveiled by uh, Randy and his team. And uh, that was obvious, that he conned people. Mm-hmm. But, for example, Dennikan, I'm not sure about him. He sounds like he's very convinced of what what he preaches, yeah, why wouldn't he? I mean, it can happen. I agree with you that the outcome is the same, <laughs> but <laughs> the approach as to how we how we try to counteract could could be different, yeah, but Gabor asks another question: Did you have a period in your respective lives when you did believe some weird shit but later realized you deceived yourself? mm-hmm.
2: I definitely did <laughs>
0: nah.
2: As I said before I'm a person that Fell easily into a Natural fallacies You have to see that I also was a teenager Probably at uh-huh. that time So it probably <laughs> was easy To do that but I think I also wanted it to be true. Like, for example, yeah. I really like I really like gemstones. And and then I read in the internet, that you can like charge gemstones up in Moonlight. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, oh, that's really cool. And I really love Harry Potter. So my, why don't I try that? <laughs> um, so that was, for example, I didn't really believe in that. I just wanted it to be true. But um, I did believe in, though, is when I received my second HPV vaccine, I had a bit of a bad medical spell after that and but it was a coincidence and my mom and i we both did some research on the internet of course fell into anti-vax uh stuff
3: of like oh it's
2: the vaccine it's the vaccine and and someone died from the vaccine blah 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 and nothing's true <laughs> yeah it actually took like normally you take the three vaccines in in a certain um, amount of time like in a certain distance and it actually took a bit longer for me to take the third one because we just had to get out of that trap again mm-hmm. i think that must have been 2007 or so so you can see that even when you're very rational and i would say my parents are very rational scientific uh, thinking people you can fall into these traps and i also did because like i was i was a very young adult at that point like 17 18 yeah it's it's easy to fall into that <laughs> Like mm-hmm. it's, it's actually it's, yeah. it's, it's it's it takes hard work to not do it basically. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. exactly.
2: I had one
1: thing, but I'm not going to repeat it all because we talked about it a year ago on show 250, mm-hmm. 250. But that was in short, it was uh, about a book called 1421: The Year the Chinese Discovered the World. So it was mm-hmm. a, about how the Chinese <laughs> sent out a fleet and basically discovered America, and then it was all forgotten afterwards and i can't blame that i was a teenager i was in my 40s and i still believe this or th- late 30s and i really believed it i i i thought it was <laughs> fantastic it it thrilled all, it was before I dis, had discovered skepticism, so I didn't have the logical fallacies. And I even bought copies of this book and gave to family and friends. So f- feel a bit ashamed about that now, but you should admit to your <laughs> <laughs> mistakes. But you, if you want to know more, you can listen to, to, to that episode, 250. I was never religious so that's not one thing. I did used to think that vitamin C helped against the common cold, Oh, uh, me because too. everybody believed and yes. still believes that.
2: Drinking some orange juice, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, also believed that acupuncture was a real thing, but that's not uh, that's not what the <laughs> Gabor means with weird shit. This is common <laughs> beliefs, and they could have been true. They were not outrageous, but if you look into it, you realize it, it's not. Mm.
2: So. Yeah. What about you, Anders?
0: I used to believe in, in things like ancient uh, Chinese philosophies and all that. Mm-hmm. And the aspect of it where it becomes entangled with life energy, uh, qi and and all that. And I believed that with qi, you can move stuff. Um, <laughs> but that was a very short phase in my life. But a longest phase was my weird attraction towards ufos and i was so into aliens that i read somewhere that you know the constellation uh or i don't know how to how to pronounce it but the brightest star in that constellation is called arcturus and i read somewhere that near arcturus there was a signature a radio sign That was caught coming from that area and uh, that it must have been the aliens so what I did I really wanted to be thorough about it so I looked up a star map I found Arcturus I found it on the sky I grabbed a light torch and I started blinking the light torch towards <laughs> Arcturus. So that I wanted to communicate with the aliens. I was so much into it. And when two guys who turned out to be skeptics who are fooling the fooling the whole country made a crop circle in the, the vicinity of my hometown and it made the, the Hungarian media, the news outlets everywhere, it was on TV and everything, I went out and started measuring stuff. So I was like... I was taking photos, but very scientifically. I mean, I was I was investigating, and um, yeah, it turned out to be nothing. But um, <laughs> then I started learning about how you actually investigate things that that happen out there in the universe, mm. and and I learned a lot about uh, astronomy and uh, space exploration and all that. So yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> this is how my I, I realized that I deceived myself.
2: Yeah, that's <laughs> cool. <laughs> I mean, learning about it. <laughs> yeah Um, yeah yeah i've got another question from listener dagmar from germany and uh, she asks will there ever be an esp in other languages what do you think pontus (laughs) i i think uh,
1: i i don't know how that would work because the whole idea with the esp was to bring people together from many different countries and cultures and speak to them so that all of them understood so if if you well in english then but so I don't know how you can do that in Italian, but what I would, what I could envision is that we have, like we've had and sometimes have, local correspondents that feed us information that we can then bring to the rest of Europe, and they can also, they're welcome to come in on the show and, and, and talk for themselves as well. So mm. that I would see, uh, that would, I would read, I would love that for that to happen. And it has happened sometimes.
2: Mm.
0: And I'd like to join that kind of a call. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so I'd like to second point us on that and, mm. uh, and say that uh, we would love to have that on the show. We would love to have a network of correspondents from all over Europe. Mm. And who knows, that might be a stepping stone for a, a few people to do their own podcast in their own language mm. for their own audience. Yeah, exactly. uh, not necessarily an ESB, but a skeptical podcast is definitely in order, no matter what the language is. Mm. Absolutely. Exactly. So what do you think, Anika?
2: Mm, I totally agree with you guys. I think um, the problem is that English is not accessible for everyone, but for most people. Yeah. So I think like a listener, Gabor, it's very admirable if you maybe like listen to the show and and just like learning more and more from it. Mm -hmm. We obviously can't do a German, a Swedish and a Hungarian version of the show because that would just take up too much of our capacities. (laughs) But foreign correspondents from different countries that then build up their own podcasts in their countries, in their language would be wonderful. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So, for the third round of questions, and that that will be the finishing round, uh we have a couple of personal questions mm-hmm. uh that come from certain listeners. And let's start with uh Rob from the United States mm-hmm. who asks what grudge does Pontus hold against the Pope? Mhm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, interesting. So, yeah, but he's a well-known
1: skeptic, so I understand he has a uh, question <laughs> to <send laughs> us. See <laughs> what anyway, do. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'll try not to be too long on this because we've talked a lot already, but I would like to say that the Pope is not just one thing. Because there's the person, Jorge Mario Bergoglio, I don't think he's the worst person at all in the world. He is, he's actually not even a bad Pope. Uh, the previous Pope, Joseph Ratzinger, Benedict XVI, he was much much more scary, very conservative, very secretive, and he did a lot of harm even before he became a Pope. Uh Golius seems to be a nice guy after all, and he's he's much more human. He likes football. He cracks jokes uh, occasionally, even sometimes when he shouldn't do that. <laughs> he, he What he's saying is very compassionate against the refugees with the poor, etc. He's very successful as a politician as well, and he's reforming, trying to reform the finances of the church, trying to deal with corruption, uh And he's even less misogynistic than previous popes. But he's still the pope. And he is still misogynistic. He's just not as misogynistic than the the others. Maybe we shouldn't give him too much credit for that. And, And just because he's a nicer pope than others doesn't mean he isn't very backwards. And he has a lot of views that are harmful. There's actually a danger with him being perceived as fairly nice That is that people trust him more. All that aside, the big problem with a pope or the pope is the fact that you put one person in such a position of power. To have any person with that kind of influence over people is absolutely crazy and very dangerous. He is God's representative on earth. That's the job, (laughs) right? Supposedly. (laughs) That's the job. (laughs) So anything he says is assumed to be the word of God. And nobody, I think, should have that much power. Never. And uh, then you may feel that he... Well, at least he was elected to the post, wasn't he? But that was by a small elite of privileged cardinals who in turn were undemocratically put in their position by another pope. So I don't think that's very democratic. If even... Even if the cardinals were unhappy with the Pope, even if the Pope did something terrible, they don't have the power to put him out of office. He's there for life. He can do whatever he wants to. So it is very important that we do fact check the Pope to call back or to scrutinize what he's doing because somebody has to and uh, he has... Too much power, that is the problem. And he represents a very backward organization with a lot of problems, lots and lots of problems. Medieval views on women, medieval views on on a lot of stuff, and of course, all the sex abuse
0: scandals. So he has to be checked. So that's why I do it. And we love that you do. (laughs) (laughs) So we have a question from Robert from the United Kingdom. Has Annika picked up any Australianisms beyond this episode's She'll Be Right? It was quite <laughs> surreal to hear that one in a German accent. So, I- I'd like to invoke someone who's not only the life partner of Annika's, but happens to be an Australian person. So, Scotty.
3: Yeah, g'day.
0: Let me, ar- let me ask <laughs> g'day. you, g'day.
3: <laughs>
0: Did you hear that question?
3: No, 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 no. sorry, I was, I was just... Putting the headset on. Okay. So.
0: Has Annika picked up any Australianisms beyond this episodes? She'll be all right. Oh. It was quite surreal to hear that one in a German accent, says Rob.
3: Yeah. I, honestly, it's it's one of those things that, for me at least, I don't hear it because it's it's natural. It's just such a natural part of our, our normal dialogue. So, um, But that being said, we, we have been watching a bit of an Australian TV show, uh, Bluey, <laughs> which is definitely uh, highly recommended for anyone with kids. And um, okay, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those shows that uh, has definitely reinvigorated our Australianisms and, and what's sort of coming mm-hmm. through in our vernacular. So, yeah, but for the most part, I think she'll be right. It's, it's <laughs> definitely right up there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, but can you give us examples of what might can constitute um, an Australianism? Oh,
3: that's, oh, that's, that's putting me on the, on the spot a bit.
0: Um. Well, sorry about that.
3: So, no, 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 it's all right. I, I think one of the, <laughs> it's, as bad as it sounds, sometimes, you know, if, if Luna's acting up a bit, I'm, I might call her a drongo. Um, <laughs> a drongo? Yeah. What's that? <laughs> so, so that's, it's an Australianism for, for someone who's sort of a bit, uh, we would say acting the goat. It's possibly <laughs> another way of thinking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not, ma- not making it any easier, am I? Um. Yeah, uh, she. Yeah, just just play it up, basically. So
0: that's lovely. Yeah,
3: it's it's a nice way a nice way of, of referring to someone's silliness. I think in this regard, so of which she is fully capable of, of, of doing right now.
0: <laughs> We're still talking about uh, Luna, right?
3: Uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Luna. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There is something that I have noticed in the way that Annika speaks. Occasionally, it can be really heard through the accent—bit of an Australian accent here and there. I can't think of anything specifically off the top of my head, but uh, Pontus, you must know what I'm talking about since you've you've, you've taken over editing the show. So you probably come across that quite often. Uh, as well. I
1: don't have any example
0: as well, but yeah, sometimes it comes through. <laughs> Yeah. Hmm, <coughs> that sounded like an Australian person. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so we between us have noticed a little bit of linguistic convergence in accents. So, <laughs> well, it's
1: just because you she wants you to understand her, isn't it? Yeah.
3: That, genau. Genau, <laughs> <laughs> genau. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's that's my one German word for tonight, guys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I just realised what the- one of the most common words that Anika uses in, a, in an Australian accent is, and it's better.
3: Better. Yeah. Better. better. Yeah. You've got to get the sort of right- the right sort of A sound. You know, you never thought there was an A in better, but, but better. It's, it's there. There's, there's an, better, yeah. Yeah, there's an A right at the end. Uh,
2: it's better. Better. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
3: All right.
0: Thank you, Scotty. No worries, guys. All right, so another personal
1: question here. Um, Kilian from uh, Germany again asks, what pieces of fiction shows, movies, books? Can you recommend that show a scientific mindset or lack thereof in action? So um, what do you think? Annika, welcome back to the show. What, <laughs> <laughs> what do you say?
2: Well, I know uh, he was, he's asking of a piece of fiction and that's why it's like, hmm. Hmm. Because like I would I could tell you like immediately a lot of non-fiction books like um, the skeptic's guide to the U- universe book mm-hmm. or the one um, factfulness Hans Rösling, um, but fiction I would probably go to Dystopia again like dystopian novels. Um, mm-hmm. What about you, Andras?
0: Well, I th- there are two since we're not talking about science fiction but but stick strictly fiction. I cannot think of too many books.
2: You can probably also uh, do science but fiction. I can, I I can think say it was just uh,
0: shows. Uh, when when we're talking about shows, uh, Columbo—that mm-hmm. is one thing mm-hmm. that I really admired since I was a kid—and uh, MacGyver. <laughs> is that <laughs> science Really? No. Uh, well, it, occasionally. So. The way he tries to find solutions to problems is a bit of a... Um, um, I've got a theory and let's test if that works. And yeah, of course it does all the time. But yeah, and detective novels, detective shows, I think they have a tendency to apply a lot of scientific thinking, mm. which I really like.
2: Yeah. Maybe even Doctor Who.
0: <laughs> yeah. Maybe.
1: My take on this is that if it comes to fiction, it doesn't have to be scientific for me to enjoy it. But what it does have to be is to have to be internally coherent and consistent and make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so anything can be great, even if it's fantastical. And I've, for Lord of the Rings, the books, I've read them many times and Mm. Mm I've enjoyed them. I also think the films are great except In a few places, like my favorite, non-favorite part is when Legolas treats the Olifants as a skateboard ramp.
2: And the the
1: stunts (laughs) that he performs there and then are not just superhuman, because he is not human, he could be superhuman, but these defy the laws of gravity and are literally impossible no matter what skills or powers you have. So that's much worse, I think, than, Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, the transporters of Star Trek, the transporters in Star Trek are very problematic from a scientific point of view, but in the context of the show, they work because you just yeah. have to accept it. It's logical within, and they even malfunction. And so they that's have fine. rules. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs> right.
1: But of course, we need to mention book and film. The Martian that mm, is yes. famous for being very scientific, mm. except for one or two things which Andy Weir, who is the author of the book, has admitted he had to make that jump. He knows that part isn't scientific, but he had to do it as a plot twist. And I think that's honest and fine, and you can accept that. So that's a, that's a good one. I think The Martian is genius because it makes science and scientific restrictions a major plot element. So, these are the limitations. How the hell do I solve this? This is the situation for the guy in the book. And there's no magic fix it all. There's no Gandalf who can throw a spell to stun the Nazguls or whatever. <laughs> there is potato and there is water and mm-hmm. there is soil. And how the hell do I eat potatoes? And, and there <laughs> is
0: <In various laughs> poo as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it makes sense. I, th- I like that.
2: Okay. The next question is for Andras. Uh, from our listener Susan from the US.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wonder who that is.
2: Never heard of okay. a- her. <laughs> the question is, Andres is always singing. I'm wondering if he has one that is his go-to.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure about that. But th- the statement is true. <laughs> that I even occasionally find myself singing without knowing that I'm doing it. Mm. And
2: um, I sing during yeah. eating meals that are tasty. <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> oh, I'm humming again.
0: <laughs> I'm very omnivorous on that field. I love different kinds of music, but I think my go-to—and this might come as a surprise to you—is "I'm Yours" by Jason Ross. Yeah, and you have actually recorded that one. I've heard that. It's
2: I good.
1: have. I have. It's very yeah. good.
2: I want to hear it. <laughs>
1: we want. We will put a link to that in the show notes. <laughs> good. Okay. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. For some reason, I I find his songs very uplifting, and um, his voice and his range is almost the same as mine. I I, I mean, he's much better, but 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 still better. Better. But, um,
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I love singing his songs. Yeah, but it's a good and song.
1: It's it's very interesting rhythm rhythmically. Rit- rhythmically, yeah, rhythmically. Mm-hmm. Huh? I don't know. Anyway, you know what I mean. It has a good rhythm to it.
0: <laughs> so it, is, yeah, it uh, yeah, it does. Yeah. So,
1: so it's fun to try to sing it, even if I don't know the really the words.
0: But it has. It's very up tempo and good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Link
1: in the show okay. notes.
2: <laughs> very good.
0: <laughs> Going back to Mark from the Netherlands, who filed several questions, and he's a he's one of our Patreon supporters, which we thank him for. He says, I must admit, when I am in Sweden, and I love Sweden, I always voluntarily have to think of the Swedish chef on the Muppets. I find him hilarious. (laughs) So, is he a real Swede? And how do most Swedes feel about him in general?
1: (laughs) A very serious question there, yeah. But of course, he (laughs) he is a real Swede, and he actually grew up just in a village nearby here. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No. Uh, Okay, so to answer seriously... uh, The Swedish chef from the Muppets, what he speaks is just nonsense. And when he first appeared, because I'm old enough to remember, sort of (laughs) remember that when I happened (laughs) I was just a kid, but there was quite some amusement among Swedish people when they heard him and and they said, Is that really what Swedish sounds like to a foreigner? Because That didn't sound anything like we thought we sounded like. But I also think that most Swedes are a, a bit proud that we made made it to the Muppet Show and we <laughs> got our own special character there and that the small country like Sweden had an impact uh, enough to, to make it to American TV. So absolutely no hard feelings about the, the, the Swedish chef, but he doesn't sound like we think we sound at all.
2: But he's uh-huh. funny. so the last thing that we do is not a question but a tongue twister that we got sent um in from our (laughs) listener max from poland and uh yeah i think i will not only twist my tongue with that but actually break my tongue with it so (laughs) um you will have to listen to next week's episode to see if my tongue is still attached after this (laughs) Do you want me to read it out? Because... Yeah,
0: please, if you can. Yeah. Actually, he did send us an excerpt. Yeah. So he recorded himself saying that.
2: And we will put it in after after we try it. <laughs>
0: yeah, after. After. Okay. I think okay. that should be funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> right. Yeah, it should.
2: Because I, uh, I have to confess, I didn't listen to, to his tip.
0: Ooh. <laughs> because in- his email came when
2: Luna was sleeping. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah.
0: I did, but I don't think it, it does matter. It doesn't <laughs> help. doesn't help a lot now.
2: <laughs> okay, so my go at this would be the SP. <laughs> yeah, that's what, a,
0: what she said. What she said. <laughs> <laughs> and i i i hope we will we will put this on the show notes because the way it looks it's just a bunch of consonants thrown in together and that that's what it looks like well the e s p is is understood understandable yeah it's comprehensible mm. yeah
1: <laughs> at least so pontus yeah the e s p him subject niet <laughs> okay, <laughs> and that is not N- looking at the actual letters but I did try to to phonetically take down what it sounded like in the
0: recording
2: <laughs> it sounded better than my show
0: <laughs> okay, it's vaguely ringing in my ears something that he said but I am looking at the words mm-hmm. so I'll try to combine the two <laughs> but it's going to be terrible so yeah, watch out the ESP Brzmi <laughs> sounds pretty
2: good
3: <laughs>
0: well it, probably not
2: but you probably insulted Max's grandmother also
0: <laughs> yeah yeah so Max I I really hope that this actually means <laughs> what you claim it means which is oh you you didn't claim anything Oh, but I put it into Google Translate <laughs> yeah and what did it say I, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wait a moment. Let's do it again. <laughs> so it says the ESP sounds in a reed in susbrzesiacian. <laughs> that can not so, can't help a lot. Doesn't it? Doesn't. So yes. So Max, thanks for for the challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know what we just said. <laughs> But I think we're we're going to wrap it up with that. And um, we'd like to thank all our listeners who sent in questions. We really loved you asking us about all this stuff. And I uh, hope you enjoyed our answers to the questions. With that, on the occasion that we have just finished recording our 300th episode, <laughs> I'd like to thank both of you, Onika and Pontus, for joining me today.
2: Thank you. <laughs>
0: Thanks a lot. It's been great fun. Thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so all the way up to three, another 300 and more. And until next week. Goodbye. Tschüss. Hej då. lat.
2: The ESP brzmi w
0: I don't know how you can
2: believe. Yes. <laughs> Next question. No. I'm joking. Yeah, you should never ask a yes or no question. That was
0: rookie mistake. Uh,
2: yes, Six I, years I, of
0: interviewing people, and we're still there.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fact checking. The fact checkers reminds me of Chuck-in-wood-chuck-chuck. Chuck-in-wood-chuck-chuck. <laughs> what, what, what Chuck and de- Wood Chuck. Chuck and Woodchuck Chuck. What would a Woodchuck Chuck?
1: Just because he's a nicer poper, poper,
3: <laughs> <laughs> a
2: nicer poper, <laughs>
1: nicer poper. Is that
3: better? Better. <laughs> better. That's better. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm yours, open up your mind and see like me, open up your plans and damn you're free, look into your heart.